Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Hey y'all, well, it is the second week of school here in North Carolina for most counties across the state. And I know several of you have been in school more than that, more than one week, and some preschoolers are starting this week. So it's about this time over the next month that as a child psychologist, I start to get stories in my office about children who are starting to resist going to school in the morning. And most of that is due to some anxiety and adjusting to the new school year. And some of that is due to an anxiety level that we want to be concerned about and potentially make changes with. Before we dive into today's topic though, I want to share a little bit about language. So the phrase that is often used to talk about children not wanting to go to school is school refusal. I think that the word refusal has a connotation, at least in America, that the child is being defiant or actively, willfully choosing not to go. Most situations, especially with young children, even with older children, there is always a reason that they do not want to go. And yes, older children can look like they're making a choice or arguing with you or saying, I don't want to go. The issue here isn't in the actual refusal of them. We could substitute that with resistance or anxiety about going. The issue with the word refusal is in the connotation that it's a choice. So I would just challenge you to think about if you hear the term school refusal, quickly jump to, well, why? Why are they refusing not to go or refusing to get in the car or refusing to get out of the car? And really what it is, is resistance to something. There's an emotional resistance to this transition, to this new relationship, to this new schedule, and quickly jump in your mind to, okay, why? 
why are they doing it? Let's move away from the mindset of getting stuck in this kid is giving me a hard time by not getting in the car, getting out of the car. And they're having a hard time, no matter what kind of word we use. Yes, they are refusing, but why? And no, they're not refusing just to give us a hard time. So let's dive into some of the reasons why this might be happening and how to support anxiety around school. So as parents and educators, we know that children often experience a honeymoon. That first day or week or sometimes even few weeks of the new school year And it's a time when many children are blissfully distracted by their new outfit or their new backpack, their new teacher, their new pencil box, or their new classmates. So they often make it through that first few days or weeks just fine. And most of that has to do with the fact that they're distracted by all the shiny new things that they're getting used to. But at some point, many children will begin to settle in and look around. And sometimes I imagine them thinking, what exactly is going on here? You mean I come here every day away from my parents and learn new hard things? And it's at this point that many children begin showing their anxiety because they have just started feeling their anxiety. They're settling in and getting used to the schedule, getting used to their new things, and they're not so new anymore. And then they look around and they realize, I'm not sure about some of this. So it's at these moments when parents and teachers will begin to see some of that resistance to getting out of the car at drop-off, or as we work backwards in this time frame, to getting into the car at home, getting dressed in the morning, or even going to bed the night before. So as a child psychologist and former school psychologist, I've watched patterns of new school year anxiety in children for over 20 years. Here are the most common reasons that I have seen for what we call school refusal or resistance to going to school, and when to be concerned and how we can support our child. Okay, so first we have to understand where anxiety about school is coming from. Number one, learning is a vulnerable experience. If you have heard me speak or you've taken my teacher course, you know that this is what I preach. We have to think about this from the child's perspective Imagine sitting in a classroom in a different country where you don't speak the language. You're going to feel uncomfortable, unsure, and vulnerable about what's going on. So even when children all speak the same language, neurodivergent children often have social communication and processing weaknesses that make it hard to know what's going on around them, which can create anxiety. If children have academic struggles on top of that, they're also going to have some anxiety about how they're performing compared to their classmates. So because learning is a vulnerable experience, we have to use relationships as the container to keep children feeling safe at school. They have to feel safe and stable before any quality learning can take place. So number two, how do we do that? One of the reasons that children have school anxiety is because They left their safe people at home. So learning how to leave your safe people at home, the ones who have soothed you from the time of your birth, is a big deal for incoming preschoolers, kindergartners, and many neurodivergent elementary kids on up through early elementary school and even into late elementary school. They have to get used to a new teacher every year. And if building relationships is hard for them, if they're starting to feel 
vulnerable or starting to feel self-conscious about their weaknesses, every year they're having to trust a new teacher to understand and get them. This step is such a huge deal that it can take kids anywhere from a week to a month to even a school year to fully adjust to this new normal of having a home family and a school family. The most important things parents can do during this transition is to build a relationship with teachers and school staff so that you can show your child that you trust these people. You trust these adults caring for them during the school day. If you are unsure about your child's teacher, even if you don't say anything about it in front of your child, it's likely that they can feel your anxiety and uncertainty which may cause them to feel more anxious when they're away from you. So number three in understanding school anxiety is they can't always predict what's going to happen next. So in traditional schools, it's filled with lots of new sounds, smells, crowds that many young children and many neurodivergent kids have to adjust to at first. This is one of the main reasons that early childhood experiences of group learning, like movement or music classes, can be so helpful just to expose children to the experience of learning in a group. However, with groups comes unpredictable behavior from others. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. I want to welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdremily.com slash tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdremily.com slash tracker to get started. So things that could be going through a child's mind at these moments are someone may not follow a rule. Someone may take my toy or someone might interrupt me. It could be hard to control my body during circle time. I have to pay attention to the rules in the hallway. I have to know what to say when someone bumps into me. Plus, there could be a new funny-looking toilet I've never used before, or a substitute teacher, or a fire drill, and who will help me if I feel scared. So think about all of those things going through a child's mind when they are young or when they are in a new school year, getting used to the pattern of school. You can see how it's incredibly important to support the relationship because a child doesn't know the answers to all those questions, but if they know who will help me if I'm scared, 
that solves a lot of the anxiety in this situation at the beginning of the year. So whatever might feel different to our child during this period of adjustment could cause temporary anxiety. Many times this anxiety will resolve on its own as a child gets used to the routines, the people, and the demands of school. But if anxiety continues, we want to consider making some changes. That could be changes in strategies. That could be changes in the classroom. In some families, they make changes in the school that their child is enrolled in. So I want you to keep in mind that children can't learn if they're feeling anxious all day. If their brain is too busy coping with anxiety, there is often little bandwidth left over for attending to learning. So as a child psychologist, here's when I'm concerned. One, your child is upset during the day for an extended period of time. So this is where your relationship with the teacher comes in so that you can trust the teacher's opinion of things. So many times children will experience a spike of anxiety, as we all do, right before we do a brave thing. If going to school in the morning is their brave thing, then anxiety is going to look like emotional upset, resistance, or maybe arguing with us. And that's common when children are anticipating doing something non-preferred. What's uncommon is if it continues to stick around. So for some children, this looks like refusing to get out of the car, while for others, it could look like bedtime anxiety the night before a school day. Many parents are perplexed when teachers report that their child had a great day after a very hard morning. But many times, once children transition into school, all is well. It's the getting through the transition that gives a spike of anxiety. So as a child psychologist, I am only concerned if a child remains upset or anxious during the school day or begins to speak negatively about themselves when talking about school. All right, number two, you might realize that your child's school cannot support their needs. We all have great hopes for our children's future, and that includes that they will be capable of learning in school. However, raising children is like building the plane while you fly it. You may begin with the idea that your child will attend one school and quickly figure out that they need something else. That's okay. Your child may enter kindergarten in a regular education classroom, but you may soon realize that they need a smaller class with more specialized staff to help them learn. Decisions to change a child's school situation are some of the hardest decisions we make as parents because school is such a large amount of how our kids spend their time. It is where their social community develops and how they learn about themselves. So moving your child to a smaller or more specialized classroom or school can feel like lowering the bar, so to speak, or giving up on them. However, it is quite the opposite. I have seen children thrive in smaller, more specialized settings because when they feel supported, their anxiety goes down and they're more engaged in learning. On the other hand, keeping a child in an environment that not only does not meet their needs, but is expecting them to do things higher than their skill level often risks harming a child's mental health and love of learning. Number three. If your child's teacher is concerned they are not making progress, I would be concerned too. So 
As a psychologist, I'm often asked to be a parent's objective sounding board. Many parents feel overwhelmed by making school decisions, and it's hard to know what is our own anxiety triggering something from our own past or school experiences, and what is a gut feeling that your child isn't in the right educational setting. Teachers can be an objective sounding board, too. Teachers know when a child is struggling outside the realm of what is expected for that classroom. If your child's teacher is not concerned, then there's likely no need for you to be concerned. However, if your teacher is concerned that your child is stressed by academics, social, or sensory demands of the classroom, it's time to start collaborating on solutions. Okay, so how can we support our child if we're concerned? Number one, be sure the learning in the classroom matches your child's skills. If your child is faced with learning that's too hard for them on a daily basis, this will cause stress, which will deplete their energy and focus to learn in the first place. So collaborate with teachers on reducing task demands until your child feels capable and confident, then build skills from there. Number two, build connections and trust between the home family and the school family. Sometimes children will throw their teacher under the bus when resisting going to school. These are crucial moments when you have to lean on your knowledge and trust of your child's teacher to align with them as the person who you're trusting to support your child in your absence. If you don't trust the teacher, it's hard to reassure your child. Make sure your child knows they are safe both at home and school and make sure they see that you believe they are safe too. Here, of course, is where if you have concerns about your child's teacher, you need to talk with administration, but also see the point that I said before about if you're, you feel like your child's school is not supporting their needs, that's a different conversation. And number three, reinforce school routines, predictability, and plans for support. Once a plan is in place, support your child with the transition to school, and this will make you and the teacher aligned in that transition, like the handoff between home family and school family. Make the mornings predictable and use visual schedules that support communication and increase independence. Sometimes transition objects can help, such as taking a picture to show the teacher or opening an encouraging note from a parent when a child reaches their classroom. Whatever the strategy, remain encouraging and positive to help your child adjust to school while remaining aware that if their distress continues for too long, a change may be warranted. There is no one type of classroom that fits every type of brain. One of our many jobs as parents is to find the just right learning situation for our child so they can grow and thrive into the person they are meant to become. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily at the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.